let me tell you a little bit. You've joined us in the middle of something, uh, which is I'll tell you about. We're in the middle of a, a series of, of talks on uh, a very particular passage of the Bible called Romans chapter 12. Oh, I've got to tell you about magnets. Okay, I'll get on to that in a second. Romans chapter 12, hold that thought. So you might have got, I think you've got one of these in your bulletin, these little blue magnets. Um, here, I'll, let's see if I can put them up here as a reminder here. But uh, the reason we're, we're giving these to you now is that you can stick them on your fridge. I'll stick them on my uh, closest thing I have to a fridge, see if they work. Oh, I tell you, upside down doesn't work. Anyhow, this is probably not the kind of metal that it's supposed to be. Anyhow, maybe the magnets are faulty. We'll find out. Anyhow, but the save-the-date magnet is basically, these are things that are very, very important dates coming up for our church family. Uh, in, they're all in uh, 2016, but we really wanted to be strategic about things that were going to help us uh, develop our culture here at Hillcrest in some very specific areas. And you'll, you'll see that on these things, a lot of things about prayer, a week of prayer, hearing God's seminar, which is a six-week uh, training for all of our, our church, all of our small groups are going through that training. Uh, then our set free seminar, which is uh, really just going to help people be set free from things that sometimes they just seem to can't seem to get free from. And, uh, and so that's a big, that's going to be a big weekend for us. And then our, our very first prayer summit, which is a big church-wide uh, prayer night coming in the spring. So some of the things that we're going to launch here in the new year, we wanted to give you advance warning. So we give you magnets and I hope they stick to your fridge. Let me know if they don't. Uh, I hope they do. <laughs> Anyhow. Uh, the other thing you can do with it is, is in tying with what we're learning right now is you'll also see Romans chapter 12 printed out for you in your bulletin and you can just stick it to your fridge with that. And there's some bolded verses in there. The ones in bold are the ones that we're memorizing every Sunday morning. We're, we're going to try to memorize seven verses through the course of this series and we've memorized two so far and this morning I'm supposed to review those two with you and then teach you one more. So I better get at it. Um, so here we go. So if you if you're here before, you'll remember Romans chapter 12. Oh, great! It's all mixed up. This will be fun. Okay. You know, I actually have come to the conclusion. I'll have to unmix this in a second. I've actually come to the conclusion that um, as the staff have been helping me come up with different ways to. Uh, memorize scripture verses that they're actually just trying to see how much my brain can handle before it explodes. Because <laughs> every time I get up here to teach you a scripture verse, I feel like I'm maxed out totally about my uh, my capacity here. So let me see. If, do we have that in the right order? I, maybe that's right. Oh, no, this is wrong, isn't it? Right. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This, is that better? Is that do we get it? Are we? It makes them up on purpose. You know what? I'm already mixed up on purpose, so uh, we'll stick with what we have right now. We, but remember that suggestion because that'll come into the third verse today. It'll come in handy. Okay. So Romans 12.1, we'll just review it real quick, then we'll do Romans 12.2, and then we'll jump into Romans 12.3, which I don't have memorized yet, and I'm going to learn along with you this morning, so it's going to be exciting. Okay, here we go. Let's read it together. Romans 12.1, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. How many of you from the last few weeks, you got this memorized? You say, yeah, I got it. I got it. Okay. Okay. Let's do it one more time. We'll fold it down and then we'll see if we can do it. Okay. One more time. This is your last chance. Grab onto it. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. All right. Some sadness over this being taken away. I'll give you the first words. Okay, you guys ready? Romans 12, 1. Therefore... True and proper worship. Awesome. You guys got that. I, I'm, I'm pretty confident we can move on to verse 2. So verse 2, we decided to use a different memory technique, and that was actions. And um, I got some feedback from last week's actions that they were a little bit too much Aretha Franklin. And uh, would you please tone down the, the, the wiggling hips? Okay, so I'm going to do that this week. So you have to stand up for this one. You guys, if you were here last week, you remember. But we're going to do actions so we can learn Romans 12 too. Romans 12, 2, okay. Uh, is there, I suppose it's too late probably to get that up there, just to put the verse up there, Romans 12, 2 in the NIV. Sorry. Asking for things at the last second here. So we'll go through it. It's got actions, okay. Do not conform. Oh, here it is. Okay, so we, you, for those of you who are new to this, we put it up there for your benefit, but we're going to breeze through it quickly. Okay, here we go. So here we go. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. All right, yeah, it's fun. Okay, you guys want to try it one more time, and then we'll get rid of the, we'll get rid of that up there. Okay, so do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, can you guys take that away? All right, see if we can do it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Oh, God's His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Yeah, you don't have a good, pleasing, and perfect leader, but the will is good. So, um, Great. Fantastic. Okay, so you guys are tracking, and I realize if you just joined us this morning, you're amazed that these people have all this memorized, but uh, we've been working at it for a couple weeks. So this week we're going to tackle, oh, I should tell you a quick story. I was driving up to pick up my kids from school, and one of the teachers who goes to church here uh, came running out, saw me from 20 paces away, eyeballed me in the car, I'm sitting in my car, and looked at me, and, and went... <laughs> <laughs> And then walked back in. 
and I wasn't sure if she was scolding me or what. Anyhow, I was, it was really great. So uh, that's great. Do not conform. So now we're going to read Romans chapter, or Romans 12, 3. Okay, so here it is, Romans 12, 3. Now, again, because my staff like to test what I can pull off, this is going to be a bit of a challenge. Now, what we're going to do is I need, I need one volunteer to help me who doesn't, isn't shy to speak into a microphone. One volunteer, one volunteer. Oh, oh, I hear, I'll do it. Yes. Oh, okay, I got one. I got one. Come on. Come on down. Okay, so Byron is going to be my buddy. He already was my buddy, but now he's twice as much my buddy. Okay. So we're going we're gonna to divide you guys up into three parts, okay? So this part over here is going to be, this is the dividing aisle, and you guys are going to be the green section, okay? So you're going to say, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, okay? That's your section. The middle section is going to do the blue, okay? And then this final section is going to do the red, and then Byron is going to do the part at the bottom. Oh, the bottom. Yeah, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Okay. So you can just, you know, like a benediction, okay, yeah. say it like a preacher voice and everything, just, you know, give it to these guys. Okay, all right, so we're going to have some fun with this. Okay, so we'll get started with you guys over here. And then we'll let the session, and then we'll mix it up in a little bit. But, okay, let's get started. Oh, here we go. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith, God has distributed to you. Each one of you. Oh, hey, yeah. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Just having fun. Do you want a job? Yeah, I just check I, it. I, you need a job. Actually. Oh, okay. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll see how well you do on this assignment first. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. Let's do it one more time, and then we're going to have some more fun with making it more complicated. Okay, here we go. All right, green section, get us started. Distributed to each of you. Okay. Now let's do one more thing, just so you get one more thing. Let's just we'll do it once where we just read it all together and then we're gonna we're gonna play with it, okay? Here we go. So let's all read it together. We did the sections, let's all read it together, okay? Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now let's play that other slide here. Whoa. Now stop, stop, stop. Green is still first, blue is still second, and red is next. But now we've given different sections different assignments, right? So this section is going to start in the middle, and then we'll go over here, and we'll get back to you guys third and Byron's still going to bring it home for us, okay? All right? So let's just try it a little bit different. You guys in the middle, you guys ready to be the initiators? Get it started for us? Here we go. Romans 12, 3, 4, In accordance with the faith, God has distributed to each one of you. 
<laughs> He's got attitude now. I love it. It's awesome. We've created a monster. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's good. You're going, to be, you're going to be hearing this phrase in your dreams tonight, I know. Okay, so that's great. You guys handle that. Let's do it one more time this way, and then we'll do it one more time with the whole thing, and we're going to start, and then we'll take the verse away. I'm really scared about that, actually, myself. Okay, here we go. So we'll start with the green section. Do not think yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, we're, get, we're getting somewhere. Okay, now, we, now it's not here. Do you guys think you can hold it together? Because I don't actually have this memorized. But I was trusting you guys that you would. So, um, so we'll start with you guys, green section, okay? Okay, you ready? Okay, let's get the words back up here. Let's get the back words back up. We're not ready yet. We haven't taken the training wheels off. Okay, put the, put the words back up. Okay, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Let's do it. We'll do it one more time this way. Now really learn your section, okay? Learn your section. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith <laughs> that God has distributed to each of you. <laughs> each of you. Good each job. You. Oh, All right. I don't know, guys. Uh, do you think we've got it? Let's, let's try. Green section, you've got to get us started here. Grace given to you. I say to each of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. Accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Okay, now let's make it so everyone can help everyone, okay? So Green, you're going to lead the way, but everyone's going to try to chime in and get it, okay? This is our last real hurrah, and let's see if we can, we can come across the finish line. So Green section, get us started. The grace given to me, I say to each one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think over judgment. In accordance with, with the faith, faith that God, God has distributed to, to each one of you. of you. Wow. Okay, guys. Thank you so much. You did a good job. Give a hand to Byron here for just... All right. Now, I am thoroughly confused, but having fun at the same time. So that's good. Today, we've, again, we've been going through Romans chapter 12, and we've said that Romans chapter 12 is a snapshot of God's dream for your life and my life. That's what it is, a snapshot of God's dream for your life. And we've broken it down into five different relationships. So we've talked about how in Romans chapter 12, you can get a little bit of the picture of how God wants you to relate to him first, your relationship with God how God wants you to relate to the world and its value system, uh, then how God wants you to relate to yourself, 
then how God wants to relate, God wants you to relate to other people who are followers of Jesus. And finally, how God wants you to relate to people who aren't followers of Jesus. Okay? So those are five relationships. So if you so we're saying this is God's a snapshot. It's not everything, but it's a, a pretty good snapshot of God's dream for your life and how he wants to uh, change your life in such a way that you can experience his best. So the first week, again, relationship with God, uh, we, we, uh, we, we talked about surrendering to him. What does God want the most from you? He wants, he wants you. He wants you and me. He wants all that we are, surrender to him. And so we said that week, we said total commitment, total commitment it's, it, or surrender is the conduit through which God's biggest and best blessings flow. And I'm, I've already been hearing lots of stories about how people are being challenged in this area of surrender. Um, this, this week I had, I had uh, three coffees that all were about surrender, that had a surrender aspect to them. And then I, uh, um, and, and then I was just amazed that at, at all these different moments I had. Let me quickly give you a quick business analogy and then we'll jump into it. There's businesses measure success by two types of measures, lead measures and lag measures. Have you ever, who's heard of those before? Lead measures and lag measures. Okay, so a lead measure is, is something that you do that you hope will bring the results. And a lag measure is the results. So let's say um, you wanted to sell, let's say your job was selling chocolate bars door to door or something like that. You're, you would you'd say, okay, the, the lead measure that I hope will bring the results is going to more doors. So I want to up my sales. I, I sold 10 chocolate bars yesterday. Now I want to sell 20 chocolate bars. And I had to go to 40 doors to do it. So now I'm going to go to 80 doors, hoping that that will double my sales. Right? Pretty simple. So you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to increase the leading measures and hope that they will affect the lagging measures. They lag. They come later. Right? Okay, I saw this week, I saw leading measures and lagging measures in people's spiritual life in a very unique way. So I had a couple of coffees with guys younger than me. And uh, in both coffee times I had with these, these two particular coffees I had, I just really felt like both guys were wrestling with um, really formative, challenging decisions about surrender to God and actually what Kurt talked about last week, which is separation from the world's values, right? Really holding on, um, holding on to God's values instead of the world's values. And I thought it was really interesting how they were, they were wrestling with media, they're wrestling with their work life, their, their thought life, they're wrestling with all these different things and, and, you know, and taking sort of guesses about whether these decisions they make now would end up in the results that they hope for for the future. Very interesting. Then I had three other sort of moments that I thought was very neat, neat to see them in, in contrast, and that was I got to see people uh, much later on in the game, people older than me. And I had one was a coffee, and two were actually anniversaries. I went to two anniversary parties yesterday. And, uh, and at all three of these events, I, I got to sort of look at lives that made these same decisions when they were young and then at the end, what were the results? And the results were amazing, amazing. 
You know, I looked at marriages, which were incredible examples to other people, where there was, you know, just godliness steeped in, in, in generations. And it was just incredible to see that. And, and both, of the, both of the different uh, anniversary parties I went to, I just was like, these are couples I would, I would just hope that at the end of my days that Marnie and I can be like them. I was really excited. And some of the things that were talked about at those anniversary parties and in the coffee I had with another older person was the decisions they made when they were younger. And I thought, it was really cool. It was sort of like I was getting this big picture of how you, surrendered, you, you surrender your life to God, you, you, you decide to live by God's values and not the world's values, and then here's the results at the back end. And so it's, just, it's been really neat to sort of see what's been happening, and I don't think it's all because we're teaching on this topic. I think that the Holy Spirit is always wanting to lead people on these things. So I don't give us, you know, Good for Hillcrest, we made this happen. I don't believe that necessarily at all. I, I think we're in line with what the Holy Spirit is already doing. And if you get in line with what he's doing, you're going to be successful. So I'm, I'm pretty thrilled about uh, seeing this evidence. But, but I just saw that this week in a very clear way. People are wrestling with surrender, wrestling with uh, choosing God's values over the world's values. And I almost felt like, oh, I almost wish I could have took those young guys to these other events and said, yes, in the future, this is what your good decision, your integrous decision, your godly decision that you are making and wrestling and fighting with right now, this is what it leads to. Huge blessing for you and for others. Go for it. Don't hold back. Surrender. Separate yourself from the world's values and, 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 and latch on to God's values and live for him. You will not regret it. I've seen that this week and I'm just... Praising God, really, for the snapshot and the, the window that I got to see those things. So we talked about relationship with God, and last week, Kurt talked about relationship with the world. And uh, today, I want to talk about relationship to yourself. So how do you come to grips with the real you? That's our question. How do you come to grips with the real you? Now, Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, mind and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And we often think of that statement, which is a very famous sort of Jesus statement. We think of that statement as there's two things. There's loving God and there's loving people. But you know, I just was reading it and realized, you know, there really is a third person involved and that's yourself. The third person that's involved is yourself. It says love people, love, your, love God with all, everything you have off your body in that way. And then it says, love people as yourself. And I thought, you know, I wonder if we loved our neighbors like we loved ourselves, would it look like love? Would it look like love? Um, You know, if you saw them as you see yourself, would you be looking at them through a positive or negative viewpoint? What's the viewpoint you use when you look at yourself? Like when you maybe metaphorically look in the mirror or literally look in the mirror? What do you, what do you say to yourself? Is it really happy and excited? Are you, are you like, I am wonderfully made. I matter. God has a plan for me. I'm not too short. I'm not too tall. I have the right personality. I have the right gifts and abilities. I don't need to be like anybody else. I, I think that's a good viewpoint, by the way. See, I think a lot of people spend a lot of their time and energy trying to be like somebody else. The sad thing is that a copy of someone else, or you as a copy of someone else, is not nearly as attractive as the real you that God made you to be. 
It's a sad thing, I think, that we feel the pressure, and again, that's part of the world's values around here. Look, these people are like this. Imitate them, be like them. Uh, when God's given you a perfectly good and attractive blueprint for who you are and for who I am. And so instead of spending our lives trying to be like someone else, uh, I think we're called to embrace the plan that God has for us, how he's gifted us, how he wants to do something in us and through us. So here's a, here's a statement I want to I just, uh, th- maybe we can get on PowerPoint. The most attractive person on the planet you can be is the real version of you. Hey, how about you turn to the, if you have a person beside you, you know, that you really like to put a finger in the face, (laughs) you don't have to do that. That's actually quite rude. Anyhow, turn to them and say this, the most attractive person on the planet you can be is the real version of you. If you got someone beside you, turn and just say that to them right now because they need to hear it. For some of you, that's the nicest thing you've heard so far today. (laughs) So let's not waste our time trying to be someone else. Let's roll up our sleeves and trying to figure out who God made us to be. Now, I want to give you three big questions that theologians and psychologists throw out when it comes to sort of figuring out yourself, right? And, And let me just kick things off with that. First question is, who am I? Okay, that's a big question that that's an identity question right? It starts out that you usually identify yourself in the who I am I identity category with your family, right? I am a Atkins. That's who I am. That's, you're a Smith or a Jones or whatever your last name is, okay? So that's how you might initially identify yourself when you start out, but then it might shift a bit as you get into work and things like that, and you might begin to start saying, well, I am a, uh, you know, a plumber or a nurse or a, I'm the fry chef at McDonald's or whatever you are. That might also start to play a role in an identity as well. And, but then as you get older, sometimes passions actually begin to even eclipse that, right? You say, well, I might work here, but I'm an artist. Or I might, uh, I might do this to pay the bills, but I'm an environmentalist. Or, or I'm a, uh, a musician or an athlete. Or, or uh, I'm, a, you know, I'm a theologian. Whatever it is that you, you, your passions may be the thing that, that overwhelms. Uh, or it begins to form more and more your identity as you go. But who am I is the first question. The second question is, where do I belong? Where do I belong? This is a question about security. And again, it starts with your family, but it continues on through life. When you go through school, some of you are in school, there's groups at school, where do I belong? Maybe you have that firmly established. I eat lunch every lunch hour with these people. That's where I belong. Maybe not. Maybe you're sort of in between groups. That happens. Okay, so where do I belong is a question we're always asking. Uh, lots of things can inform that, right? The, the gang you hang out with, uh, the computer brand you use, your ethnicity, clubs you're a part of, tattoos that you share with other people, whatever. Where do I belong? And then finally, what am I supposed to do? This is a question about significance. Why am I here? Now, the thing is, a lot of people are so busy with those first two big questions that they actually don't get to this question very early in life, maybe not at all in life. But what am I supposed to do? Questions about significance. Why am I here? Um, so, you, you know, maybe they haven't got to the question and they get to midlife and they, 
the question seems too daunting and they're still trying to figure out who am I and where do I belong? So they just buy a convertible and they're okay, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just jealous of people who own convertibles. Um, but these are hard questions to answer. They're hard questions to answer. And I think there's a, there's, biblically we can say that there's reasons why they're hard questions. Uh, something has happened to make it challenging for us to answer them. And uh, it's something that happened way back with our very first parents uh, that we learn about in the Bible. So if you've if you got a Bible, you can go all the way back. Just go to the right to the beginning in chapter 3 of Genesis. Genesis means beginning, but it's the beginning of your Bible. You can go to chapter 3, and we'll be reading there in just a second. So let me tell you what's happening. Is God, who's the giver of life, in his love and generosity has created mankind and told them that they can have anything they want in the world with one exception. Don't eat of this one tree. Don't eat the fruit from one tree. So pretty great deal. Do whatever you want in this entire world, but don't eat of that tree. And so our first parents, Adam and Eve, first by deception and then by an act of will, rebelled against God and sin entered the world. And and theological people call this the fall of man. Uh, But we're going to read about it here. So Genesis 3, 8 to 13. It says, then... Genesis 3, 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So God comes in and he asks three questions. And they're not three questions he doesn't know the answer to. They're diagnostic questions. They're analysis questions. Sometimes when people are asking you questions in your life, they know the answers to the question, Right? They're just helping you understand where you're at. Like uh, we have a little critter in our house. Critter, he's a human being. Anyhow, our little guy in our house. And uh, if we're in the other room and we hear him climb onto the chair and then hear him climb onto the table, which he's not allowed to do, we might ask a diagnostic question. You know, where are you? And then we'll hear the scramble back down onto the chair. <laughs> right? It's a diagnostic question. So God asks a diagnostic question. Where are you? And, and the answer comes back, I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. So here we, we come to the first thing, uh, the first challenge. You guys have your, your, um, your inserts in your bulletin? You'll have a little fill in the blank. Let me grab one. There we go. Okay, just one of these. You can fill in the blanks as you go if you want. But our first challenge is that we have fear rooted in shame. Why are the three big questions about life, identity and and belonging and significance, why are they hard to answer? Well, one of the things is uh, that each one of us has a level of shame in our lives, a level of fear. We, We think if people really knew us, the things the secret things, that they would reject us. 
Adam knows he's done wrong. And so he is fearful and he's, he's ashamed, right? I was afraid because I was naked. Well, he was really mostly afraid because he knows he's sinned against God. He'd done the one thing God asked him not to do. And the second obstacle is, is hiding. Hiding. Hiding rooted in insecurity. See, everybody at some level is insecure. Now, you might not think that's true. You might say, no, I've met some people that are just like totally like 100% secure in who they are. And um, if you persevere and get close enough to people long term, you'll find that everybody's got some level of insecurity. And it's not just the, the weak, you know, who appear weak and, oh, I'm not good at anything. Or, but it's also the strong who are like, I'm good at everything, who also have insecurity. But often what the strong are doing is they're just sort of powering up, Right? Like they're, they're sort of like, it, both of them are protective mechanisms, just like hiding in a garden from God. It doesn't work very well, but they're protective measurements. So if I say, oh, I'm just no good at anything, and, you know, um, you know, I'm just a terrible person, and everything's wrong about me. Well, you know what? It becomes a layer around me that keeps people at a relational dif- distance, because not a lot of people are going to want to come into that zone for very long, and persevere with me because of that way that I present myself. But the strong person also has a layer around themselves. I got it all together. Oh, no, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm, I'm good at this and that and this. I'm strong at everything in life. And they've got a layer around themselves, which is self-protective as well. And I found it the most amazing thing as I persevere with strong, capable, um, brilliant leaders, I find that eventually the crack in the armor appears. And it's not that they're horrible people, but it's just that suddenly they become real people. Right? Have you had that experience where you knew a person and you thought, that person's invincible. Nothing can touch them. They're just, so, and then suddenly there's a vulnerable moment where they just really tell you that they're lonely or that they're tired or they're, it's exhausting holding the world together or something like that. And you're just like, you too? I mean, I can be a basket case, but you? Wow, it's an amazing thing to realize that that's the human condition. So, the one last one we've got, we've got fear rooted in shame. We've got hided, hiding rooted, rooted in insecurity. And the last one is blaming rooted in denial, right? Look at what God says. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? And the brave husband stands up and takes responsibility. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Just throws her under the bus. It's like, it's like the pressure gets to him and he cracks. Does it? It's like, you know, it's funny. It's Thanksgiving Day, right? Um, we're quick, as a human species, we're quick to... Uh, put the blame somewhere else. That's natural. Uh, something, obviously, you don't want to condone or you want to push back on that and try to see that change in your life, but we're quick to do that, to bl- blame on other human beings, even to put the blame back on God, right? Can you imagine how pumped Adam was when God made Eve? Can you imagine his excitement at that moment? 
That was Thanksgiving Day for Adam. <laughs> and you know, it's so funny. You know, uh, on Thanksgiving Day, we, we, we get around and we say, oh, God, thank you for all the things in our lives. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for uh, family. Thank you for food. Thank you for, um, you know, thank you for breath in our lungs. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But then when things go bad, suddenly it's good. God, why did you? Why did you do this? We don't at that point go, why did you give me freedom, family, and breath in my lungs? No, we go, why did you give me this woman? <laughs> the fact I ate that fruit is really your fault, God. Now, it's funny, when I was in Bible school, I used to get into sort of teasing arguments with uh, young ladies there because it was fun. And, of course, you're at Bible school, so you're reading the Bible, and, and I always liked in the New Testament where it says that it wasn't the man that was deceived, it was the woman. And I used to, you know, niggle and, and sort of poke at different ones without, you know, it really was the woman who was deceived. And, you know, you get a fiery reaction, and that was so satisfying. And it wasn't, it wasn't until recently when I was sort of reading some of these passages about this that it sort of twigged to me that I think I got this wrong. Yes, she was deceived, but then that meant that Adam did something much worse. He willfully disobeyed. I was like, oh man, I'm sure glad nobody in first year Bible school, none of those girls knew that, or they would have killed me in that argument. <laughs> I had nothing to stand on. I was just lucky that uh, they hadn't got to third year yet. Anyhow, yeah, the guy really didn't own up, didn't step up, and he was the one who willfully obeyed. Maybe uh, Eve was deceived, but he was willfully uh, complicit in disobedience. Of course, then God turns to the woman. And he says, the wo um, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Of course, you know, she could have turned it back on the husband, but it was already, their, their relationship was already on the rocks at that moment. So she just said, God, uh, you made snakes. So it's your fault. All these things, all these obstacles become challenges for us to, to really figure out who we are, our identity, where we belong, and, and uh, also our, what our role is, what we're, what we're meant, to be, meant to do. So let's, let's quickly go to Romans chapter 12 and see a counterpoint. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 is where we're going to go. And Romans 12 verse 3 says this, for... By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, sound familiar? Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So there's a command here, and the command is to think accurately of yourself. The phrase used is sober judgment. We have an S for every week. You've noticed that. Surrender and separate, you know, surrender yourself to God, separate yourself from the world's values and and grab onto God's values. And then this one is sober judgment. Sober judgment. It means think of yourself accurately. What would be the opposite of sober judgment? Yes, you can say what you're really thinking. Yeah, drunk judgment. Yeah. <laughs> I was just wondering if anyone would say it. <laughs> or, you know, if you want to say it nicer, impaired judgment. Think of yourself with sober... What, what is it about drunkenness that... 
what is the actual impair? Okay, so we, we take something from outside of ourselves, put it inside of ourselves, and it affects uh, negatively how we see everything. I mean, there's other negative effects too, but it affects our judgment. Well, Paul is saying, we don't want that. We don't want drunk judgment. We don't want impaired judgment. We want the opposite of that. We want sober judgment. We want accurate perception. We want you to see yourself. When it comes to that question of identity, who am I? We want you to see yourself accurately. So you need to be able to look in the mirror of God's word and say, who am I? Who who does God see me as? Now, some of the things we already mentioned, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's good. That's part of having a sober assessment of yourself. Now, notice what else it says in here. Notice it says, um, let me just, oh, I got my notes all mixed up here. Oh, I really did. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been good talking to you today. And uh, we're really... <laughs> I don't know how I, how I did it, but I somehow shuffled the cards and I can't get them back together here. These are really handy. Just talk amongst yourselves. So think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. Now, I I used to think of this as like how much faith you got. So like I might have got more faith or less faith than somebody else. So I'm going to think of myself more or less soberly. That didn't totally wash with me totally. I was sort of wondered about that. And uh, I actually like how it, it says it in the new NIV. It just says, in accordance with the faith. It doesn't say measure of faith. It just says faith. And I think that's helpful because I've, I'm challenged to think of it in a new way, and that is that it's just we're thinking about it according to a biblical worldview. Right? So think of yourself according to a biblical worldview. Think of yourself according to how God sees you. So... Um, so think of yourself in that way. And, and here it says, don't think about yourself more highly than you ought. Or, let me also add this one, or more lowly than you ought, because that's a problem too. If you're thinking about yourself more highly or less highly of yourself than you ought, who are you thinking of? You're thinking about you. And humility isn't about thinking too high or too low of yourself. It's about not thinking about yourself at all. Humility is a self-forgetfulness. And how do we get that self-forgetfulness? How do we get to that point where I'm not all wrapped up into whether I'm up here or down here? Um, We get there by seeing ourselves as God sees us. See, it's an incredible freeing thing to experience the love of God. We learn in the New Testament, it says, perfect love casts out fear. So that fear, that hiding, that shame, that insecurity, all those things that, that cause us to sort of retreat in the bushes relationally and not be vulnerable and not be close to God and not be close to other people, those things get dealt with in our lives when we begin to experience the love of God in our lives. When we realize how uh, gracious and merciful God is. When we see our lives in view of God's mercy, we suddenly are coming out of the bushes and going, oh, 
It's not as scary as I once thought. God is actually merciful. God is actually gracious. God actually wants uh, to have relationship with me. And he's not just looking to lower the boom on me. He's not just looking to, to do that, but he actually is, is looking to, to bring me into relationship with him. It's in that freeing love, it becomes possible to become self-forgetful. That's a good thing, by the way. Self-forgetfulness means that you can focus on others, right? Paul said in Philippians 2, just before he gets going on and on about the, in, in a beautiful passage about the humility of Jesus, he says to the people he's addressing, he says, consider other people more important than yourself. So he says, oh yeah, so consider that they're great and that we're not. No, he says, basically, think about the importance of other people. How do you think about the importance of other people? Well, once God's love has really become real in your own heart, you're at peace. There's a peace that comes. There's a freedom that comes. You don't have to always be comparing yourself. You don't always have to be proving yourself. You don't have to be striving to, to prove to God that you're spiritual or good. You don't have to always be you know, competing by the world's values to prove that you have arrived. You're, you have a freedom because those things start falling off of you. And now you can look around and consider other people and how important they are and how meaningful they are and significant they are. Instead of looking at someone and saying, am I winning in a competition against them? You actually see them. What a neat person that God made. What an attractive person that God made. Once you're out of that rat race, you're freed to consider others and how important they are. You know, it's good that we talk about identity first because it has a lot to do with the question of belonging. See, once we start to think accurately about ourselves, it puts you in a good place to answer the other two big questions, right? Verse 4 and 5 says it this way, For just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So once we talk about identity and we figure out who I am in relationship with Christ and, and who he's made me and that ra- actually the real me, the way he made me is more attractive than any copy I could make of any other person. We have that relief, that freedom. Uh, then if you're thinking accurately with sober judgment about yourself. It puts you in a good place to answer the other two big questions, right? You, so you belong in the body of Christ. If you're, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, God's put you in a family, a spiritual family. It's called the body of Christ. And you're meant to make a unique contribution there. And you're gonna, but you'll find that really difficult if, you haven't, if you're still struggling with the identity question. You find that actually is all near impossible. So having an accurate identity is the first place. The biblical worldview uh, helps you be a better teammate in working together in the church. You see that God allows you to have strengths and weaknesses, and that makes you a great teammate. I play with Lego now and again because of children that live in my life. <laughs> how many of you play with Lego more than, you know, you play with Lego, how many of you are on round two of playing with Lego? You play with them as a kid, now you're playing with them again. Okay, yeah, some of you admit that. Okay, so I play with Lego. Lego are interesting. I have never found a Lego piece that's all bumps all the way around. And I've never found a Lego piece that's all holes all the way around. Maybe there are special ones that you can buy like that. But almost every Lego piece has the same two features, bumps 
and holes that the bumps go into. And that's how they interlock. And if they're mega blocks, they don't interlock very well. You have to pry them apart and you have to use your teeth. Anyhow, but with Lego, they're pretty well made. <laughs> but that's how they're made. And I think it's pretty close to how God's made us, right? God has given you strengths. We'll call them the bumps. And he's given you weaknesses. We'll call those the holes. Okay? But I think, again, that's what makes the body of Christ so beautiful and wonderful. Is that because God has made us with strengths and weaknesses and put us into a family, we are meant to use our strengths to help others with their weaknesses. And they are meant to use their strengths to help us with our weaknesses. So that creates not independence, but interdependence. Not codependence, that's a totally different thing. Interdependence, that we work as a team. Now I think a lot, for a long time, I think, well, it still is a problem in North America, is we've seen movies where one single, strong, had it all together person saves the day. I love those movies, by the way, army of one type movies. You know, I love those movies. I really enjoy them. And they're just sort of, there's something that's feeding something in me that probably is not healthy at all. But I, I enjoy them, right? I just, oh, that's so good. Rambo can do anything or whatever, whatever movie it is. The reality is, though, that, God, that God's not made us that way. God has made us to use our strengths, our, our, our bumps, to come along and, and to fill in where other people have weaknesses, their holes, and vice versa. And so that creates teams. For a long time, we, we always look for people to lead in. We look for great leaders, that strong man leader or woman who had everything put together. And maybe it's because we watched a lot of movies that told us that's what we should be looking for. And I think the new paradigm is teams. Teams, strengths and weaknesses, people who really get close to each other, close enough to be really honest. I'm not good at that. But I am good at this. I think there's a whole new era opening up where, where uh, it isn't full of whining about weaknesses and it isn't full of bragging about strengths, but it's just accurate, sober assessment. We say, I'm good at that. I'm not good at that. I love some of the stuff I see even in, you know, books that aren't Christian books. I I read, you know, strength-based books where they say, look at this. What if people were just really authentic and real and okay with the way that they were made and then really honest about that? And they shared that in the team and everybody was honest about that. And then they said, how could we use these strengths that we've been given to help each other and to do something great together, something we could never accomplish on our own? Well, you know what? Those books, they're about 2,000 years late to the game. They're still selling like hotcakes, but God already made this blueprint a long time ago. Right? Let me read it to you. Each one of us, just as each one of us has a body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And here's where it gets to the activation point. It says, we have different gifts, or strengths, you could say, maybe, according to the grace given to each of us. So spiritual gifts given to us by God. So it's not something we did, but God actually shaped us this way. Yeah? According, oh yeah, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. 
If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's, if it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So we're vast. We've tried to answer, what's my identity? Well, we belong in relationship with, with God. Right? Think of yourself soberly. Think of yourself in the way that God has made you. And just like God celebrated your creation, you celebrate it as well. And then we think about where we belong. We belong in relationship with other followers of Jesus. In a really close relationship where we get to know each other and we actually see each other's strengths and weaknesses and we celebrate the fact that God has made us different. And then finally, what do we do with all that? Then we discover our gifts and we deploy them. We discover our strengths and we use them. That's what we're meant to do. We're meant to use those gifts for the body of Christ. Let me do, I want you to think your way through this, okay? We're gonna gonna close in just a moment. Worship team, you can come back. I wanna read you through these gifts again and this is what I want you to ask yourself. Does this describe me Yes, no, or maybe. Okay? Yes, no, or maybe. Okay. So let's read, let's read through them again. Here we go. And by the way, there's lots of, you can read up on gifts, spiritual gifts. These are what they call motivational gifts. So these are the things that are your MO. This is why you do what you do. You have other spiritual gifts maybe that are described in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. But this is where it starts. Why do you do what you do? Why are you hard, what are you hardwired for? So let, let, let's listen to these, okay? So yes, no, or maybe. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according with your faith. So prophesying, uh, these people tend to be more black and white. They really call sin, sin, and they speak, you know, they tend to be more opinionated, which is fine. We need them in the body of Christ, people with some strong opinions. And then they also, um, sometimes people think of this as telling the future, but that's not all it can be. It's telling, often it's telling the truth or proclaiming truth right into a situation. So that's what the gift of prophecy, uh, that's a little bit of a snapshot of it, okay? In this context, okay? So it doesn't negate some of that word of wisdom, word of knowledge. I won't get into that, but those in other texts, just in case you're worried, okay? So if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Is that you? Yes? No? Or maybe? How about this one? If it's serving, then serve. So these are people who see practical needs that need to be met, something that needs to be fixed, or, or, or something physical that needs to be done, or some, some practical need, and they're naturally wired to, to go and meet that need. That's what they just naturally gravitate to. So is that you? Yes? No, or maybe. Okay? If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. Sometimes we call this exhortation. But this, these people just really want to help people. They really want to help people. They want to come alongside of them, bolster their spirits, a lot of times with words or uh, the way that they engage relationally with them. Okay? So is that you? you have the gift of encouragement? Yes, no, or maybe. Okay? How many of you guys already say you've, you, you think one of these gifts might be one of yours? Yeah, just tell me. 
Yeah, look at how gifted you are. That's great. There's lots more. Don't worry if you feel left out. There's more. Okay. If it is giving, then give generously. So sometimes these are people who, it's easy for them to make money they, or, or to, to seem, they seem to know how to do that. And it's easy for them to give money, right? They're not just misers they're, or hoarding money. They, they seem to be able to allocate resources, get them together, and then they love to bless and give. And, 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 and that's what they're drawn to do. Okay? So is that you? Yes, no, or maybe. If it is to lead, do it diligently. Okay, these are the people, they come into a scenario and, and there's a problem to be fixed and they are instantly like, okay, Susie, you do this, Bob, can you do that? And, and Willie, I need you to help in this way, right? They naturally lead in a situation. If that's you, is it you? Yes, no, or maybe? How about this one? If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Okay, these people will spot, they will spot a person in a tough time and their heart goes out to them. Uh, I don't have, I have some mercy in my life, not a huge one, but when I get around mercy people, I know it because they'll tell me after we walk out of a situation, did you notice what they said? And what, like, they're just, they feel and know what the other person's feeling. I'm like, how did you do that? Like, well, how do you know that? How did you discern that? Well, they have a gift of mercy. Is that you? Yes, no, or maybe. If you want more on this, and we're gonna close right away, if you want more on this, uh, go, you can go to uh, livingontheedge.org, which is uh, the source material for some of the small group curriculum we're using. So if you're in a small group, you'll probably already be aware of this, but if you're not in a small group, livingontheedge.org, and you can hear a whole message there on discovering your one primary spiritual gift. Pretty interesting stuff. The motivational gift, the thing that sort of, and it's a really excellent uh, message there by, um, what's his name? Chip Ingram. Yeah, so you can hear that. So let's stand and we're going to stand and we're going to close. Stand and close. I'm going to pray for you. Then we're going to worship. Okay. All right. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you uh, love us. That we don't have to run after something that the world tells us will make us a better us. You already, you already created something that you said was very good. So God, we, um, we push back against anything uh, that, that tells us otherwise. Lord, we, we know that we, we know the sin problem we're born with. We know that that's, that's a reality. And yet we know that we are wonderfully made. That your fingerprints on us uh, has done something pretty amazing. And so God, we don't have to be someone else. You've called us to be ourselves. And Lord, thank you that you've put us in a family. Thank you for put us in a relationship. Lord, help us to be courageous to move closer into those relationships. Lord, if we're keeping ourselves at a distance or self-protecting ourselves by pretending uh, or, or projecting, uh, I'm too weak, so stay away, or I'm, too, or I'm strong, I don't need anything, whatever we're projecting, help us to be real. And finally, Lord, I just pray that we would um, put the lion's share of our lives into the gifts that you have given us in serving others. God, would you show us how to do that? Would you show us how to take the, the gifting that you've given us and to tilt the floor towards that strength, tilt the floor towards that orientation, that motivation. 
God, we want to serve you with who we are, not with who someone else is. You're only going to keep us accountable for what we did with what you gave us. So, Lord, give us sober self-assessment. Help us see ourselves accurately and help us glorify you with the person that you made us to be. We ask that in your name. Amen.